there's this sort of like glow of energy that comes off of you as a young person, regardless of whether your life is, you know, flawless and fantastic, or it's a glow with this sort of fear and longing. But I do feel like there's this sort of hum of energy that I associate with being younger and hormones and, and, and all the hopes and fears sort of stacked up and lining up in front of you down this sort of endless journey that doesn't necessarily feel like it's ever going to end with your death so as you just heard from the introductory clip some of this episode has slightly dodgy sound quality that happened at my guest's end in LA but I've done what I can and made it sound as good as possible it doesn't happen for quite a while and when it does happen the words are still audible Regular listeners to this show will know that I'm currently running an Indiegogo campaign to raise money for my show, Stand Up Tragedy. We're going to be taking the tragedy up to Edinburgh as part of PBH's Free Fringe. We need your help. So go to www.standuptragedy.co.uk and click on the link to the Indiegogo campaign. We've got some great perks to give you in exchange for your donations. You can get original pieces of tragic art painted by some of our tragic artists. You can be a guest on this show. You can have our tragic chef come round your house and cook you a meal. We'll write you tragic stories and we'll sing you tragic songs and lots more besides that. So have a look and see what we're offering and consider helping independent art go up to Edinburgh. If you don't know already, Stand Up Tragedy is a variety night where people stand up and do tragedy. It features musicians, comedians, spoken word, fiction, true storytellers and more. Our last London gig is on the 4th of July at the Dog Star in Brixton starting at 7.30 and we've got comedian Josie Long as our headline act. It's going to be a really amazing night and if you want to come along and support the tragedy by paying for the tickets to that gig, then please do so. In advance, they're £5. On the door, they're £7. Again, go to the Stand Up Tragedy website. That's where you can buy the tickets. The 4th of July is also when our crowdfunding campaign runs out, so please donate before then. We're going to be in Edinburgh from the 3rd till the 14th of August every night at 6.30 at the Fiddler's Elbow. And because we're part of the Free Fringe, you don't have to pay any money to come and see our show. Although donations are gratefully accepted. And if you can't make it to Edinburgh, we're going to be podcasting a different tragedy every day for the entire Edinburgh Festival. So it's worth donating even if you can't come up to Edinburgh because we're making tragic audio to share for free with the world. And starting next week, we're going to be going into a kind of personal season on getting better acquainted with a series of conversations that start with my dad's ex-wife, continue on with a frank and intimate discussion with my dad about relationships then a conversation with my mum about generations and how 
they become like each other and how they struggle to become like each other. And we really get into some complicated stuff. And I've mentioned it for the last two years or so on the show, and it's finally coming out. Not quite sure how I feel about that completely. Followed by a conversation with Sue, who is a family friend. And it's a great conversation with Sue, but also it's significant because Sue is the only person really who remained friends with my dad, my mum and my dad's ex-wife, like all of them. There'll also be some extra episodes coming out. One features a conversation with my older sister and her grandmother when she was a young child. Her grandmother was alive in the Victorian ages. And there's also an extra which features the revelation that I had after talking to my mum, captured on mic on the bus back from Bristol to London. So it's going to be quite an intense season for me to edit and hopefully it's going to be a really rewarding and excellent season to listen to. So I just thought I would get a little plug in for that. And the last announcement to make before we get on with the show is that the edited version of Getting Better Acquainted that goes out weekly on Resonance FM at 7.30 on Thursdays, 10 o'clock on Fridays. You can find that at 104.4 FM or online via the Resonance FM website. That series has been extended. So there's going to be four more episodes that I'm going to edit together and they'll be going out through July. And that's enough of me wittering on with my throat that hardly has any voice for some reason today, probably because I use my voice for everything I do. So here's another clip from Janet before we go in to the episode properly. There's just so much access to people's privacy and I have really mixed feelings about that. I guess I feel like as much access as each individual person is comfortable volunteering, that's great. And I think that I'm sort of hoping Um, I don't know if I've articulated this before, but I think I'm sort of hoping that the more stuff like what I do is available to people and out there, hopefully the less they'll be interested in tabloids. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today, we're getting better acquainted with Janet. Hello, Janet. Hello. <laughs> I I appreciate that I'm a one-namer now. I thought Janet Jackson had maybe cornered the market on being a, a one-name Janet, but if I'm just Janet and not Janet Varney, I'm delighted. That's true. I should have said Janet Varney. I normally do for like, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say famous people, oh. but I don't know how, how that's going to make you feel. Real weird. But I didn't today. I don't know why. I think it's because we'd already been talking before I uh, was introducing you, and so it sort of feels weird to say a surname. Fair enough. But, uh, you're right. I, I should say a a family name, I think I'm supposed to say now. I haven't got with the times on that. My family name. My family name. That does sound, that sounds rather officious. That sounds like I have the, like a giant Varney crest behind me. A coat of arms. <laughs> I know what you mean. I think the idea is that surname 
it kind of is patriarchal it kind of connects to the to the male line and and nowadays people don't have to connect the male line so it, it people the preferred term i think is supposed to be family name i didn't know but, that uh, I've, i'm already learning so much i'm getting better acquainted with pc with political correctness but i'm doing well really normally like People would assume like the person from LA would be more on the uh, political correct side. I reckon. Evidently um, so not. I, so so I'm, I'm 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 breaking all of the uh, all of the stereotypes right here. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Well, this is great, and I should say, I mean, we're doing this conversation over Skype, and you're in LA, and I'm in London. Before we turned the mics on, we did the obligatory uh, weather chat. We did. And, uh, it's sunny there and it's rainy here, which is fulfilling the cliches in this case. A horrendous cliche, <laughs> but true nonetheless. Yeah, well, a, a good that's a nice cliche to have being in a sunny place. I would like to live in a sunny place, I think. I got to be honest with you, David, I, I'm not saying that I want it to rain as often as it does in places like Portland or say London but I when I lived in San Francisco that to me was sort of the perfect weather which is I like a little I like foggy and cool I don't really like uh bright sun and cloudless skies I'm a freak in Los Angeles I'm considered a freak well I, I can relate to that I, I think I feel that way myself but I I uh I, you know the the rain and the gray skies can get tiring and then you do crave the sun a bit but I think if I had the sun all the time I probably would would shun it quite a lot yeah uh, i don't i don't like being hot certainly Ugh, neither do uh, i i'm in the process of shunning it even as we speak even though i did go for a bike ride this morning but it's that thing where it's the last it's cooler today now we're just talking about the weather online too yeah, um I know, I know. the weather today but it's on my mind because the weather the last couple of days was so hot and unpleasant and also quite humid which we're never prepared for here uh that it it put me in i had to sort of i felt myself fighting a low-grade bad mood the last couple of days and then this morning it's it's cooler um so I forced myself once again to go out on my bike and do a ride in the morning but I just don't love being shone on by the sun directly I think there's too much of growing up in Arizona in me uh suggests that I'm growing cancers on my skin (laughs) even as I am trying to do a healthy thing by riding my bicycle yeah, no, I can see that. I, yeah, I, I, I never get enough sunshine really to, 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 to have to worry in that respect. It feels yeah. like anyway. Well, yeah, and we are talking about the weather, which is <laughs> <laughs> the universal uh, language, I guess. Yeah. Is though, I guess, like wherever you are, you can talk about the, the weather. Um, so the first question that I ask everybody on the show is, "How do you know me?" Which is an, an interesting one in this case, I think. Um, it is well. I don't know how interesting it is. It might, it might be kind of a short answer. Uh, yeah, number one, short. it's fair to say we don't know each other. Number two, we did meet on. Did we meet on Twitter? Or did you? We meet when you emailed me directly. Was Twitter the first thing, or was did you just email me directly? I think I've. I've I, you probably I, I retweeted some stuff and and kind of uh, told my followers about your show on Twitter. So you might have sort of got to an idea of me on Twitter. But yeah. then yeah, no, I, uh, I I emailed you directly saying uh, I I love your podcast and I'm doing a, a strand of the show where I talk to podcasters and uh, I'd I'd love to get you on my show. And you said yes. I said and yes, that, and I, one year yeah. later. I know. I look. I was we looking managed. at the emails. It's and it is a one, one year. One year. And was no, it, it really? Is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm so ashamed. Well, you're. Well, you're a very busy person, and so am I. So I, I kind of, I, I, I'm, I'm quite forgiving, really, uh, of people not being available because I'm, I'm so hard to pin down myself. Uh, so that, that's fine with me. And plus, there's the um, whole time difference thing, which is probably just as boring to talk about as the weather. So I guess sure, we don't have but, to spend any time on it. 
but it is quite a big one like so it's 11 o'clock in the morning where you are and it's well it's and it's just gone seven seven here so i mean that does that does mean we're going to be in very different mental states for this conversation i should think i've been at work all day uh, and got up and i got up at six so i might be flagging a little bit um so we'll see we'll see come on david you gotta keep up you gotta keep up Well, I, I think it's going to be hard hard to keep up with with someone uh, of your caliber on the mic. I think, oh. but we will see. I, I I will try and bring my A game. Um, yeah, the second question that I ask people. Oh, I should say your your podcast is called the JV Club, um, and we'll we'll t- we'll talk probably more about that a lot more about that probably in this conversation. But the second co- question that I ask people is, what do you do now? Uh, like it just that. Wow, that's okay. Like in like How, work however wise, you want or, to, yeah. However you want to interpret it. What do I do now? Um, right now I'm lying on my couch, uh, which can also be known as a sofa. I wouldn't <laughs> call it a settee. It's far. Ca- it's far too couchy to be a settee. Um, I say settee. I think I, I don't know. Even that if it's says just something a, about my class, but yeah, it settee. does. You snob. <laughs> you uptight British snob. This uh, is yeah. hardly if if you're a settee <laughs> is is too firm and and uncompromising and uncomfortable, and this is more like a, a womb. <laughs> I'm li- I'm in a womb. Um, I uh, <laughs> I guess I already clarified uh, what my morning's activities were like. So um, I think that speaks for itself. Um, but right now I'm I can say that I am definitively not at HuffPost Live, which was a job that I had for. Uh, about six months, maybe a little more, that really rendered it uh, impossible for me to speak with you because working yeah, in that right, work yeah. schedule of a sort of eleven day, eleven hour days was um, well made things pretty tricky. And um, and so you were, doing, were you doing presenting for them? Is that I was, like yeah, I was hosting and producing um, segments on various things, and we would be live. Uh, several hours of the day and the rest of the time we'd be sort of preparing for what our, our stories were, were for that day. And it's, it's, it was an extremely fun, really, really great educating, uh, inspiring job. But unfortunately I just have too many other projects that I, I couldn't really set aside that I ended up kind of killing myself trying to do in addition to have post live. And they warned me of that when I took the job, they were like, good luck trying to do the rest of your stuff. And I was like, yeah, I can do it. <laughs> and I couldn't do it. So, but one of the sort of funny things that comes out of, and I'm sure other people experience this in their walks of life, um, is that when you, for me to do something like this, uh, like HuffPost Live and to be committed in that way five days a week, um, to just go back to my normal showbiz life, whatever that means, uh, where I kind of keep my own schedule more. And of course I'm beholden to meetings and auditions and interviews and, you know, working and shooting things. But, um, it's, I've been, I had been doing that for eight years before I took the job at HuffPost Live. And I don't think, I think I had lost touch with just how lucky someone like me is to kind of have a, a flexible schedule and to have a lot of free time when I say free time as you know from us trying to schedule things together that doesn't necessarily mean it's like leisure time but to be able to sort of construct your work time as you see fit um is uh, it's such a luxury and I just hadn't really connected with that on on a level of appreciation the way that I have since I left the job which is to say that I I still sort of feel in the last few months since I've left 
like I'm getting away with something, which is uh, all I'm doing <laughs> is get, getting away with the same thing I got away with for eight years before I was there. But all it took was six months of a really intense every single day, five days a week, consistent job for me to, to really reconnect with how much I admire and esteem people who um, who just who do that who get two weeks of vacation a year and are otherwise at you know the same office every day I really think that um, I don't have the tenacity for that and that I probably have too much attention deficit disorder and I really applaud people who are are doing that and being consistent it seems suddenly very grown up and extremely difficult to me and I feel like uh, an under an underdeveloped child for being back in this place where I'm like, okay, I can do all of these other things, but I, I have to be able to do them sort of on my timeline and I have to be my own boss unless I'm working on a shoot. But even when you're working on a shoot, you know that, you know, you have a boss, but it's going to be your boss for six weeks or, you know, your boss for maybe a year, but it could go, the job could always go away at any given time. And I think it's different when you're developing those relationships and understanding kind of an infrastructure that you see as being a permanent piece of your life. I just, I just I really appreciate and applaud people who can do it. No, well, I mean, fair enough. And it must be nice to have, uh, to feel like you're getting away with something. Uh, uh, that's a nice, that must be a nice kind of feeling to have, like, as well as appreciating uh, what other people are doing. It's not, it must be nice to, to have that kind of, like you say, luxury. Well, it I is. And I, I think, that- yeah. And I think, I think too, that um, the one thing I'll say that's sort of, you know, there's, there's a positive and negative to every decision and to every sort of career yeah, path. And sure. I would say that the feeling that you're getting away with something right now um, for me has replaced the sort of <laughs> paralyzing anxiety that we freelancers also feel about where yeah. the next paycheck is coming from. And you know, you sort of when to stop working in a day and, you know, can you take a break in the middle of the day and watch an hour of television, but then yeah. you're going to end up doing a show until midnight that night. So, you know, it's, it's unstructured time is also very scary in a lot of ways. So it's nice to be kind of more in touch with a positive side of it, because I know that at some point the, I'm yeah, going to be yeah, washed yeah. over with that sense of ah, panic. No, no, I'm fair enough. I mean, I think I'm, I'm at the moment in my life, I'm in quite a, a very lucky position of, of working part time, but having, you know, being able to use my free time to do creative projects. So I'm sort of having the best of both worlds, you, you could say, but I'm, I'm quite a, let's say, obsessive person. So I, I don't know when to stop either. I don't take breaks or anything like that when I should. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. so it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how you're structuring your life, you, your personality will get the better of you. I think. That's very true. <laughs> That's very true. So, I mean, so I guess as so what you broadly have done as a career is kind of acting and co- comedy. Are those those two things are kind of the main thing that people like if the people were wanting to place you as a in, in a in a career, that would be what, what I they think would say, so. Would say. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, for a long all really all through my 20s up until the sort of end of my 20s, I was doing something entirely different. But um, but this has sort of been my my career as a grown-up from late 20s on okay so what were you doing before that before that I really wanted to work in um, sort of interior design and kind of home furnishings and that sort of world so I had been working um, I mean I really worked my way up and anybody who listens to my podcast uh, already knows this but um, I had big big dreams of uh, 
working a pottery barn, which is um, oh yes, that's right, big dreams. Yeah, big <laughs> dreams, and um, went ahead and made those dreams come true. Uh, against all odds, really against very few odds, there were really not any odds against me getting a job there because it doesn't take much. But uh, but I I worked there and um, and then you know I sort of got promoted. This is when I was still in college. And got promoted um, all the way up to a manager position uh, from which I was kind of uh, recruited out to an interior design firm where I worked before I then left to go become uh, like a buyer and a merchandise manager at this very upscale, lovely um, home furnishing store in San Francisco. And I think that, you know, if I had if someone had asked me at that time what my long term goals were, I would have said you know, I want to own my own shop and possibly also be, you know, sort of have a retail storefront, but also be a designer to be working with people to, to decorate and and do some interior architecture in their home environment. So that was, that was something that I was very passionate about. And I still am, um, in my life. And, you know, if I have friends who want my advice or help on stuff like that, I still just get a tremendous amount of fulfillment out of that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I there are times when I've thought, does that make me sort of materialistic or, you know, obsessive about things and pretty and, you know, looks and all of that. But I, I think it is so much more about creating an environment that you live in that pro- kind of protects you from the things that you don't love about, you know, your external environment or a place where you can really come home and feel like your yourself and that you can kind of unwind in that way and be for me be surrounded by things that kind of make you happy and and reflects you know who you who you are and I, I guess that's just something that's and and also for me I am such a huge fan of artists and of uh, artisans and people who make things and the the way something's constructed and the the idea that someone has when they're creating something that's aesthetically pleasing and also utilitarian in some way I just I just admire that and love that so much that I get really really excited about it so my house is just really crammed with like you know paintings of people that I not only think are amazing but have had the pleasure of meeting on some level or somebody going you know I go to a craft fair and meet somebody who like does these amazing you know porcelain whatevers and I get one but I also get to make a connection with the person whose hard you know hard work and, and passion has gone into the creation of it I just love that and I can't I don't do that much stuff like that so that tactile world um, of art and craft is to me um, it's just like a, a huge uh, exciting world for for someone like me yeah, no, that, I mean, you're painting a very, I mean, that's a very interesting sort of area, like way of interpreting that kind of area of things. Um, my girlfriend's really into like the way that the house looks. So, I mean, I'm I'm certainly open to that idea, but I'm I'm not very, I, I never care about my environment, really. I should care more about my, my girlfriend certainly would wish that I cared more about my well, environment. it's not, but I mean, you I'm know, messy. again, it's uh, the people who live more... <laughs> I mean, mess, yeah, messiness, but but messiness, <laughs> I mean, were you brought up with parents who are extremely tidy and fastidious, or were they more uh, lackadaisical about it? My mum is incredibly uh, untidy, uh, more t- more untidy than I am, yeah. um, 
and so I, I, I'm used to living in mess. I guess I could have gone the other way and and been re- like actually Jen's Jen's my girlfriend's household was 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 probably not that tidy when she was growing up, which is probably why she's gone to the kind of much more tidy and wanting everything to be in the right place. Right. So I guess with 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 the two, with the two different reactions you can have to having uh, slightly or or very in my case uh, untidy parents. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it could have gotten gone either way for me. Also, I mean, I think. My parents are both extremely fastidious and, and to the point where, you know, I think my my mom, who didn't have primary custody of me, but on the days that I would see her, I don't remember her being as uh, rigorous about making sure that I kind of maintained my own space. I don't know that she was as concerned about it, but I also wasn't there that much, so I didn't leave that much stuff there. And I don't know that I really had the sort of typical teenage room at her place because it felt very trans, sort of transitory and sort of... Like for me, it was always, you know, how little can I carry from one house to the other? So everything that really meant anything to me was at my dad's. So I definitely had more junk at my dad's, but he was really like I got charged a dollar out of my allowance for the days that I didn't make my bed, like all of those cliches. (laughs) So you could see that I would end up, you know, it would, there's certainly the potential for me to completely rebel against that as an adult and just be a slob as a sort of fuck you uh to that to that particular set of rules but um I think genetics maybe took over and whatever makes my parents both so tidy and and neat and organized and also not cluttered like I have more I have more material things than both of my parents do in terms of all of the stuff I just described like little tchotchkes like if I'm looking at my bookshelf that I in my office right now and it is like it's books but it's prints and there's some butterflies and frames and bookends and like you know a couple of those little why am I like a snow like a couple of snow globes and there's a lot of junk up there my parents don't live with that much stuff but and, and so they they really they don't hoard um and I used to joke that both of them were like um purgers instead of hoarder hoarders where they just can't stand to have a lot of stuff and so even like when I graduated and moved away it did not take long before my dad like showed up for a visit driving over from Arizona with like two big boxes full of stuff and was like well this is literally all that's left of you in my house I don't want any of it so if you want it (laughs) keep it otherwise throw it away and that's not to say like my dad has an embarrassing amount of pictures of me at at his house but there's just there's nothing like I I was just talking with someone about this like marveling at like you know the cliche of your parents keep your old room from when you were in high school and you go in and it's like you're going through time and you know there's your old yearbook and there's your what there's nothing like that when I left both of my parents were like how can I make use of this room and there's no trace of me. I can beat you on that. When I left to, for university, my mum moved to a different house that didn't even have enough rooms for me to come back and stay. All right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, that did happen to me like, with my mom yeah. also. My oh, mom moved, moved. There's no place for me to stay. And my dad took over my bedroom. And there isn't even a guest room at that house. So, like, I could, I'd could, be welcome, I'm sure, to sleep, like, on a on the sofa, you know, on the, yeah, on the safe. On I could sleep couch, on the sofa, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but otherwise, but they're both very. They love their own space, and so do I. So I don't even really have. They're both just such lone wolves, and I am as well. And so when they come to visit me, they want to stay in their own place. They want a hotel, um, and likewise when I go there, unless I'm like really strapped for cash, um, I would rather have a place that I can go 
back to after I've been with them for whatever reason I'm just not I've never been that person probably because I am of my parents genes I'm just not like oh why can't I stay with you it's just like sort of not doesn't and I love them you know I couldn't feel luckier to have the parents I have but um, that's just kind of not part of it's no reflection on how I feel about them it's just sort of how we all are yeah no sure I mean uh, my uh, that's it's interesting because like I, I'm I, my parents got divorced as well and so um, I'm some of my some of my childhood I went to my dad's uh, for uh, weekends but quite a lot of my childhood actually it was quite a complicated setup with my parents right. living in this in the same like in the same house but in different parts of the house like uh, I would visit my dad's part of the house for weekends are you kidding um, me no no it's oh, really weird no wonder like, you call it a settee how is that even possible? I, <laughs> oh, like, I'm, well, I'm not, imagining it, Mansfield Park right now oh it was well it was in the it was in the Welsh countryside and it was it wasn't a, like it we didn't we didn't have very much money um my mum my dad was retired at that time and my mum was uh, a social worker um but but like I just I guess it was just a, a lucky house and they got they 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 were renting it off a friend I think yeah. or they bought it off a friend um, and yeah no it had a they made a pup my dad made because he's quite handy uh, if a little kind of eccentric everything he makes kind of is very idiosyncratic but he made a partition <laughs> and he made a partition in the middle of the house and he kind of converted part of the house into a tiny little bed it was almost like a monk's like bed space that he slept okay. in when we came over and Isn't then he made like a bunk bunk bed uh kind of thing for me and my brother so I, and, and like in that part of the house all of the walls um you could draw on everybody who was supposed to draw on them in felt tip pen when they came to stay oh um, so it was a very weird place to and that's good so and interesting, interesting and magical that's place. like yeah that's like what you do when you do someone's television show or something you sort of write on the wall that you yeah. that you that you did the show but not usually at someone's home well, it was pictures that was kind of encouraged. It was encouraged that people drew on the walls rather than r- rather than writing. But yeah, no, it is a bit like that. That's so cute. Um, but, I love yeah, this no, father it is quite of yours. Cute. He, yeah, I, I, I love him too. And 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 it was and he, I'm I'm very glad I had his influence in my life because there was a lot of uh, complications on the other side of the family. Let's say. Uh, <laughs> but it is fascinating I, that they were so that they stayed in the same place, but sort of made it work. Yeah, for a while. And then, I mean, when my mum got married to somebody else, then obviously they had to live in separate parts. But then, then when it's my mum just got... like a weird sitcom of like, dad yeah. lives in the apartment he made. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But then um, when they when my mum split up from my stepdad, my dad moved back in to look after us then. So, uh, yeah, very strange. Wow. Fascinating. Both my parents are quite lone wolfy and very kind of de- separate and like, uh, from each other in lots of ways and so I guess I've got a lot of that in me um, and I've, that's been a big influence on my life that that divorce as I'm sure you, the divorce of your parents has been on yours absolutely um, I mean my feeling as somebody who's been I mean through two like my my parents were actually they were they were kind of split up before I was even conceived so it's a bit weird um <laughs> I was I, like, the, uh, yeah, I wow. So before you were even conceived, interesting. Yeah, I was like, a, like they'd split up, and then he was staying back at the house, and then they had New Year's happened, you know, oh, as these bless. things happen. But 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 uh, but I went through my mum and my stepdad's divorce. That was very very had a, a big effect on my life, um, yeah. and it was quite horrible and a, a lot of it, quite problematic. But my sort of take on divorce, having been through that, is that. Um, when people try and stay together, that's where the damage happens mostly to the children. 
like if they can't get on and there's just a tension in the house of misery like it was like three years of misery but then when they divorced um they were damaged people so i guess they still carried on putting issues in but if they'd have just sort of as soon as they wanted to divorce split up then i I feel like it would have been better so i I always advise people to get divorced i'm one of those weird people who advises friends to get well i no, i i completely agree (laughs) i i completely agree i think um that adults think that they have a better filter and a better way of conducting themselves than they in fact do in terms of what they think a child picks up on and i totally agree with you i think that people think people somehow think well we can still present this united front and just we're human beings and nobody is that much nobody's that clever nobody's that great of an actor and so those those are things that children just suck up like sponges and it gets in there and it would have been you know yes it, it, it's it's a bit more like tearing the band-aid off it's like yes no it's not it's not fun and exciting for a child's parents to split apart and to have to get to know the idea of no. two different yeah. locations and all that but um but it's a much faster sort of this is what happened now we're going to move forward with with the with life in this perspective rather than you know, wow, I sure felt like there were a lot of tense conversations behind closed doors that somehow they assumed I wasn't hearing um, yeah. that went on for so, you know, forever. And I think, well, I, I, so I totally I d- agree with you. I mean, I did hear the com- those conversations. That's that's what I found the worst about my, my I mean, that's, I mean, you know, if I've got issues, it, it, a lot of them come from the fact that I was in a house with very thin walls. And so I actually literally heard all of their arguments. And so do you uh, have the same kind of fear of, I mean, do you have like a fear of conflict that's kind of arose out of the, the feeling of what it's like to be, you know, a third party overhearing that sort of tension and pain in people's voices and stuff? I have a fear of conflict, but I have a a, a genetic uh, predisposition towards it that I have to <laughs> sort of try to avoid because yeah. uh, I I have like my mum's anger, but I but I'm trying to actively deal with it. Um, and but but yeah, I mean it was it was it was it was intense. Uh, let's say like uh, very. Um, very adult topics for yeah. the age I was. I was like 12 yeah. and they were talking very about, you know, about uh, adult things that you don't need to necessarily, I don't know if it matters if you know about them when you're 12, but you don't need to hear it. Uh, yeah, there's a big difference know. between here, yeah, watching something on television or hearing something in a film rather than hearing your own and parents it, talking about it. Yeah, yeah, it being your parents shouting in the next room, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't know. It was a very strange time that time because, I mean, like it's it's true that people can pick up on like the emotions that aren't said but i also think that when you get to a certain point when you're splitting up with someone you get into that kind of you forget that anything else is going on so like they weren't really aware of how angry like how like you know yeah it was a very complicated time which anyone who listens to my podcast will know uh well regularly listens to my podcast will know about uh in quite a lot of detail um and i'm i'm happy to get into it more as we go on but what i was going to say uh 
what well, what I think we should say at this point is what your podcast is and and what you kind of what what the JV club aims to do. Well, based on what you just said about your podcast, I will say that um, it makes sense to me that you enjoy uh, mine because I'm yeah, also obsessed yeah. with wh- how people were when they were growing up. Um, my podcast, I only interview women. Um, I talk with people. You know, I, I'm happy to have a conversation about whatever's going on um, and whatever's on, you know, sort of collective mind that comes into being when I sit a guest down in this den. Um, but do all <laughs> always like to touch in as much as possible and sometimes for you know the majority of the podcast with what uh my guest adolescence was like and yeah. you know their family environment and where where it was all happening and kind of what the challenges they faced were and what the the beautiful magical things that they experienced and you know just kind of put a human face on um in some cases, you know, guests that I think someone looks at uh, on television or in a film and thinks, you know, what an extraordinary gift and like they must have always just been the life of the party and yada yada. And it's just always I think it's always nice um, for any of us to hear that people that we admire, um, that we assume have it so great, you know, are still able yeah. to talk about all of their phobias or you know just the things that the things that kind of shape them into having strong wills or you know things that that you that have to be overcome and um and to remind everyone that you know it's really possible for anybody to uh become whatever they want to be yeah i mean it's what one of the things that really appeals to me about your show is like that you're sort of trying to uh get to the 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 normal person underneath the underneath the business you know like it's not about you don't talk about uh acting or show business or whatever too much it's much more like focusing on before that before people were famous before they were uh before they had become who they were and so it kind of it's it's about real people and that's what my show's about that from a different angle like it's like it's not so much uh always going back into before people were famous because hardly anyone i speak to is famous but it's it's about trying to represent um real people's lives that you don't normally hear about love that uh, i love that and that's what you and that's what you're doing as well you're doing the same thing it's just in a different way to get to the same place and i also really like the fact that your show is is just uh women uh because i mean it's just it's very refreshing to hear a a show that that you know that has women or the you know always speaking in it no male voice at all which is really a, a unique and you know it shouldn't be so unique in the media yeah. um but it is and so that's one of the things i i particularly enjoy about it um well, i'm so glad to hear you say that it's funny because when you just said what you said about your podcast and that that idea of sort of capturing uh, a snapshot of the lives of people that you wouldn't necessarily know about that just reminded me of when i was in san francisco there was a time at which i didn't I was in between my kind of design jobs and I had worked as I, I, for lack of a better word, although I I don't know that this is like really characteristic of what I was doing. Um, I was scouted like as a, I I can't say a model, but like as a, as a print model, um, which is to say I wasn't like walking a runway or anything, but I was scouted uh, and used in, you know, catalogs, like 
or in commercial, like print, commercial print stuff that you'd see in a magazine or on a billboard. And uh, it wasn't something I pursued. I didn't have like a, an agent or anything like that, but it was just something that that happens a lot in the Bay Area because people want to use quote unquote real people. They don't want to necessarily use actors or <laughs> models. So, um, so I had been doing that and I really got on with uh, one of the photographers that had ended up kind of scouting me and hiring me for a job. And um, at a certain point, they asked me if I would ever want to help them like do the same thing and sort of find real people for these various jobs or these various kind of advertisements and stuff. And so um, I got I what I I loved that job so much because it was like okay we need um, we need like a like two like real life longshore fishermen or you know we need crab fishermen. And so I would be it would be my responsibility to, to like take my camera or take a video camera down to the wharf at five o'clock in the morning and introduce myself to people that I would never meet wow. in in day to day life and just find out like talk to them get them on camera find out if they were interested in you know being considered for this job or whatever but it was just this really cool opportunity to find out about people's vocations and lifestyles that you know I I, I would never necessarily for what for various reasons I wouldn't necessarily be a part of on any kind of a regular basis but that was so exciting and cool to to get a slice of life in that way yeah I mean absolutely and and I mean one of the things I mean really I mean because my show it's about talking to people I know so that's the kind of baseline requirement but they can be someone I hardly know at all because I might have met them once at a party or whatever but um one of the things I've been enjoying about it is that you don't hear about people's working lives uh, apart from like a sort of, there's like a, a few set Hollywood working lives that you sort of hear about. Right. You know what I mean, like in, in films, you you know, people are always, they're either a designer or a writer or, you know, you don't hear about like a builder's life or, sure. uh, you know, and th that's been one of the things that I've been finding re really fascinating. And I guess that, that I just thought of that because of, you know, that, it would be really cool to go and like interview like longshoremen or, or like people who have got lives that you hardly ever hear about absolutely um, yeah so i mean like i guess what i yeah i mean so what i was sort of thinking about what as as well though when when kind of preparing for this interview is that you, you don't normally like i think you've had one well um You've had someone who tr who's transitioned to male yeah. on your show, but that's the only person that's been a, a male voice, um, and um, and that's cool, and I like that. But I but I, I think it's kind of interesting because I'm I'm really kind of um, I'm really affected by my school life because I was and my childhood because I mean I've I've got into a bit of the childhood, but I was also really really uh, bullied at school during my kind of adolescence, mm. um, and and I think it would be I, I would love to hear from famous men talking to each other about when they were um when they were adolescent i mean that's i actually i, I really like um and i know you you know him personally and have been on the on the show i really like the mental illness happy hour um paul gilmartin's uh podcast yeah for that for that reason because i hear kind of strong men talking about being weak yeah <laughs> sure and uh, and, I, and that's something that, that i i wish that i'd known 
I, I, I wish that I'd known when I was a teenager that that that, that lots of people are going to feel the way I did, but then turn out to be to feel the way I do now. Absolutely, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I had those resources. I mean, I know I didn't have those resources, which is why I started the podcast and why Paul started his too. Is yeah, absolutely for that reason. Is that um, you know we didn't we just didn't have the same kind of access to media and the internet the way that we do now. And why not take advantage of that? Because I definitely, it's funny because people also talk about like the accessibility and we, I've probably talked about it on the podcast before as a sort of like meta conversation, but the accessibility of people in, you know, going back to people who are in the public eye anyway, um, whatever you knew about, you know, Elizabeth Taylor's life. And that's somebody who was sort of an open book or at least constantly in the tabloids and stuff was sort of tabloid fodder or, you know, the drama of it all. Um, but you didn't, you know, even when I was a teenager, it's like, well, unless you're reading Vanity Fair and it's like an interview in a magazine, which is sort of structured and yeah. confined to that medium somehow, you just didn't, you didn't hear about, and there were no reality shows the way there are now. There's just so much access to people's privacy. And I have really mixed feelings about that. I guess I feel like as much access as each individual person is comfortable volunteering, that's great. And I think that I'm sort of hoping, um, I don't know if I've articulated this before, but I think I'm sort of hoping that the more stuff like what I do is available to people and out there hopefully the less they'll be interested in tabloids like yeah, i would like no, i would really, really right. like you know for someone like, like using an example of of you know obviously most people know who listen to the podcast that that neil patrick harris and david burke are two of my dear dear friends and i watch them be taken apart by the media because people are fascinated by them. I'm not sure why. To me, they're just like adorable, wonderful people. There's no, they're not, they're, there's nothing, you know what I'm saying? There's no, like, they're not, they're not any more or less interesting than my cousin who no one knows and has never seen on anything. So I'm so bewildered by, I understand that people want to know more about people who are in the public eye. But to me, that's like why I do my podcast is I would much rather someone hear from Christina Hendricks about what her high school experience was like yeah, than exactly. find than, than like delve into her personal information now that she has no interest in sharing with anyone, nor should she. And so it just feels like if you you guys, you have so much access. Why not? Why not go with like, why not go the legitimate route and just pursue yeah. that information and and turn your back on everything that's happening that these poor people who, yes, they're famous. And so, of course, they have great lives. But like nobody is asking unless you're, you know, I don't know. I don't mean I don't know Lindsay Lohan, but unless you're showing up to a club where you know you're going to get photographed or whatever. But like to be yeah. followed around, like when you're just trying to take your kid for a walk in the park and stuff, that's just not necessary. You have plenty of other ways of connecting with people that are in the public eye that you're interested in that doesn't require you to be participating in a violation of their privacy it's just very simple it's life is life is too full of other possibilities and too rich with other pieces of information for us to continue to stand by them. absolutely but I, th I mean i think the medium of podcasting as well is 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 a much safer space it's a much like you can actually you can find out more about people but in a way that is more human you know absolutely. like in tabloids it's, it's so unreal what you're hearing when you're hearing like a a, a sentence uh, and it's so different from actually what talking to that person and hearing their reasons and hearing who they are and getting to know them. Absolutely. Is. I mean, and, and I, that's what I like about podcasting is that it means that, that people can connect with the audience directly.
directly in a way that isn't mediated by the tabloids, isn't mediated in the middle, like by by all of these these forces that that often are, you know, sexist or uh, racist or all sorts of uh, things that ways that people can be slanted. Absolutely. Whereas if and you ultimately, hear them in conversation, it's, insa- then it's fine. Yeah. It's sensationalist. It's sensationalist and it's about money. And so if it's about money, um, that sort of sucks the truth and the authenticity of some right out of something. Absolutely. And, 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 and as a, as a podcaster, you know, uh, we don't make them because they because of the fact that they make us money in fact generally they don't make us money but we make them anyway that is certainly true exactly I know I know (laughs) Um, (laughs) I know that well yeah but but you you know you do it because you kind of have a passion for it and it and it's a kind of personal expression of what you are and what you do and what you're interested in and it's great to like reach out and connect with people over that I agree. And I think that's something that, I mean, I think podcasting is a great example of, for me personally, um, I didn't have, I mean, you know, people talk, I, because I'm friends with a lot of stand-up comedians, this is always a good example to use as stand-up because you have to have this this really fierce drive to do this thing that it can be very emotionally, you know, costing in terms of yeah. um, the the feeling of like, knowing that you have to fail upwards. You have to really fail a lot to succeed. And I think that that's certainly true in other realms, but not to the same. It's just such a specific way of life and a specific thing to to seek and well you're on your own um and when people talk about and when people talk about passion they you know they they assume that because for someone like me for example having a career in the arts i think that they they imagine that i'm driven by this like this passion machine where i just have to act because i don't know what else to do or whatever and i that is very true for some people and for some of my friends but as you can see from just what i talked about where i had like a whole other career mind and I sort of like fumbled into this um I don't necessarily feel that way I I guess I feel that way now to a degree because I I do love it but I think for me podcasting is it was the first time I really connected with that kind of passion and drive of like oh I oh I'm just going to do this because I love doing this not because I'm hoping it's going to lead to anything or I have to find a way to make money off of it or you know it's what you do. You're just supposed to do this. There's a sense of, you know, that there's any kind of a sense of like, well, I guess I better get a podcast going. I mean, I'm sure maybe some people start a podcast because they feel that way. I'm just like, I will go to an audition and get a part and do it. Not because I'm passionate about it, but because I feel I should, or I feel like it's going to, you know, my agent thinks that I haven't been going to enough auditions. Like there are all these compromises that you make even in a life of quote unquote passion. And I think there are probably people who do start podcasts because they're like, ugh, all my comedian friends have podcasts. <laughs> yeah. I guess I should have a podcast. I should start one and figure out. But so, so I know what it's like to do something not out of passion or not out of a very strong passion. And now I feel like I understand that bug that's in a stand-up's ear that just keeps them going out and getting on stage every night yeah. to try out material despite whether they succeed or fail that's how i feel about this i feel like and i'm sure you do too because you're both you're, you're obviously interested in people so much that it's like i i, I have to do this now i don't i don't it Does doesn't it- matter anymore any none of it matters except just being like being in the room with a person and having the conversation i'm getting so much out of it that yes. that's all you know <laughs> Well, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you have this experience, but I certainly do that, that 
now if I, a week goes by that I haven't recorded a conversation I'm less kind of mentally healthy than, yes. than if I have conf- had a, have a conversation like it's almost like having conversations are like a meditation for me they're like the, the, I'm in I'm present I'm in the moment I'm having that experience you know whereas the rest of my life I'm like worrying about other things but as soon I as I'm the mics are on, I'm like, oh it's like it's like you're in the it, you're it's like going for a dip in the sea or something you're I like, couldn't calm. agree more it's so funny because yeah. I was just listening to uh, the Radio Lab short. I love Radio Lab. There's no secret about that. That's that's something we share as well. That I, I love Radio Did Lab. Did you too. listen to that? The the Radio Lab presents TJ and Dave, the improvisers. I have I haven't heard their most recent. Okay, uh, short that's thing, yeah. Right? It's one of the last ones that they released, and I was just listening to it, and I sort of had put off listening to it because I was like, oh, I'm a huge fan of TJ and Dave, but that's very much in my world. So I usually, you know, when they when they do stuff on comedy, I'm interested in their take, but I'm also like. Oh, guys, you know, Jan Robert, like, I get that every day. You don't have to give me comedy. I know who TJ and Dave are. And, but they are brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And, um, and, but it was interesting because what you just said is exactly how, what they say about their lives doing their hour of improv, which is yeah. nobody can bother me. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm in the moment. And this, and one of them says, um, I feel that I'm in a better place in my life when I'm living as an improviser in my life as well as on stage. Like the the less, the more I'm in the moment and the more I'm really listening and responding and letting things kind of un, unfurl to me and I'm an active participant, but there's this sense that I'm being carried along with something rather than trying to control everything and anticipate everything that, you know, that's a lesson that you do take into your day-to-day life and that he feels like he's the best version of himself when he's living the like like living a version of what he lives on stage as an improviser like letting a moment letting things happen moment to moment and discovering yeah. things and i just love that so you'll now i've ruined the episode for you because that's, that's <laughs> the best part you've, but yeah, that's you've, just what but you just said line. it's so perfect <laughs> you just said the exact same thing and i couldn't agree and i and when i was listening to that episode i was not thinking where does that happen for me? Because I do do improv on stage and I was thinking, I do feel a little of that. When I'm on stage improvising, I do feel a little of that. I really enjoy it. And I do love that it's just this moment in time that can't be kind of dissolved or interrupted by anything else. But when you just said what you said, I realized like even more so for me, for sure, it's during the podcasting. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I mean, I've experienced it on stage, you know, acting or uh, um, like I, I host nights and I tell true stories on, on stage and I, ha- I experience it kind of there as well. And when I make music, like playing gigs, although I only have ever really experienced being in the moment when I've been in bands rather than when I'm solo, because when I'm solo, I'm just so worried I'm going to fuck up. Whereas when you're in a band, it's like it, right. you, you suddenly gets. <laughs> There's a cushion. There's a cushion. Yeah, a little bit more of a cushion when you're there with a team rather than, you know, something that something that can break your fall. Ah, uh, yes. So that you can sort of relax and and feel safer with a group on stage making music than if you're by yourself. I totally agree. Abs- absolutely. They've got your back and you kind of just like you, you, you become an organism, all of you together. And that's exactly. when you become in the moment in that. Whereas I'm just I, like when I'm playing on stage I, on my own, I very, very rarely like forget like about myself because I'm so worried I'm going to hit the wrong chord which I inevitably will do right Uh, (laughs) the more the more you worry that you will the more you'll make sure it happens I've learned that absolutely no I know I wish yeah no that's why I like podcasting because I actually am in the moment for that and I'm not not second guessing myself still yeah um so I mean like I guess you're 
I mean, because there's so many things that I, I'm just trying to work out what 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 I want to what I want to ask you about. But I mean, I I guess this is an interesting question. So I really like your theme tune, but one of the lyrics in it is "Before we were brittle." Yeah. Yes. And I've always wondered how that kind of fits with teenage years, like because I felt like I th- I feel like maybe I was brittle when I was a teenager. Or when I was a child, like more than I am now, but maybe I don't know. I was interested in your take on. Yeah, I think. um, I mean, that's obviously a very like that's a that's a that's a specifically nostalgic song. So the choice, you know, the choice that Say Hi is made um, in in reflecting back on yesteryear in that particular way, where you know it is sort of like that we sort of felt like we were could be superheroes in some way. Yeah. um, When we were children. I really, I really, that really appeals to me. I think, um, I don't disagree with you in some way. I think it's, I think you're trading brittle for brittle in some ways. I think, yeah, but I no, think I that, agree, I think. Um, I think that there is this sort of, I don't think that even when I was miserable as a younger person, I don't think that I had a connection to my mortality the way I do now. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so I do think that there's a brittleness that like, I, it like, I really have to work up the nerve to get on the back of someone's motorcycle now, because now (laughs) I've lived longer and I've known too many people who've died or too many people who've broken something, been in horrible crippling accidents. And so, you know, I just don't do that anymore. I don't, I can't ride roller coasters anymore because my equilibrium can't hold up. You know, I, I just, can't there I I already feel like I've lost a lot of the sort of you know like more kind of like devil may care qualities of of myself in in that I think in that's right ways. yeah me too I think I, I mean I still like roller coasters but I had that experience uh, just a couple of years ago I climbed up a tree and I was on this branch and then uh I realized I'm not jumping down from this tree I'm gonna right. climb down and like my friends were down below going jump jump it's not and it and I, definitely I could have made made it but I was like but if I spray my ankle then I won't be able to go to work tomorrow yeah you're you know, just you like yeah start thinking I think about consequences these and, yeah. I think consequences there's a there, I sort of identify <laughs> with the sort of brittleness of like this kind of fragile awareness of mortality and consequences and I also think I don't know there's the 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 Joni Mitchell song um I'm not taking it way, way back. I'm taking it back to the, like the early nineties or late eighties, but her, the song that she has called come in from the cold. Um, there's, there's a line in there that sort of reminds me of the same, like at the very beginning of the song, the first verse is, is about what it's like when you're a teenager. And she says, um, when we were younger, we'd have to dance a foot apart and they would hawkeye us from the sidelines holding their rulers without a heart like because you know you had to dance with like a ruler's width between you and so with just a touch of our fingers we could make our circuitry explode and I just always love that I mean please hello I'm quoting Joni Mitchell get in line everyone quotes Joni Mitchell I love I love Joni Mitchell she's the best songwriter I mean she's just the best lyricist in the history of songwriting in in my view River is one of my favorite songs to listen to at Christmas river it's a perfect song i mean so many of her songs are just perfection and that to me that that sort of rings true in the same way it's just like that there's this sort of like glow of energy that comes off of you as a young person regardless of whether your life is you know flawless and fantastic or it's a glow with this sort of fear and longing but i do feel like there's this sort of hum of energy that I associate with being younger and hormones and 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 all the hopes and fears sort of stacked up and lining up in front of you 
down this sort of endless journey that doesn't necessarily feel like it's ever going to end with your death um that, <laughs> that that doesn't i don't feel like i pulse the same way that i used to and i don't mind i feel it's been replaced with things i would never trade but i do think that there's there's just such a there's as much as i feel like i'm the same person which i do i feel like it's so cool it's like it's like the high, the whole idea of like time travel being very complicated and not as simple as just like you go back and then you're and then you're in this different time period that there's that the more the idea of the layers that everything's happening all at once somehow I, that really makes sense to me because I know on an emotional level because I feel like at any given time I can feel like the 16 year old that I was yeah. but that doesn't that it's not like I can I can connect with that and still be touching base with the person in me now who does feel more brittle but maybe in a good way you know no i think you're right as well it is trading brittle for brittle because maybe it's about being like a complete like when you're when you're a teenager when you're a child you there's still possibilities you aren't fully formed yet yeah and you can't and so when now we're fully formed we are more brittle in that we're we're more set in our ways and if we get kind of destabilized like i certainly find that i'm much less able to uh to accommodate things like spontaneously now yeah like you know like things have to be set i have to have arrangements if someone turns up on my doorstep now uh it's a problem if it's not been arranged in advance whereas when yes. i was 13 it was great <laughs> yes oh the lack of flexibility aye, aye, aye. Yeah. i think about that too because i i really enjoy being a creature of habit and i understand that especially because of what i've elected to do as a career and you know you and i've talked about this already but um having this sort of irregularity that comes from a lack of consistency in your work environment i think i've come to really rely on certain things that feel consistent to me outside of that so that i have that kind of stability coming from somewhere and the consistency and i think the danger of that is yeah i don't want to become somebody who like i try to really embrace still travel for example or you know anything that's kind of like pulling out the the grooves that your brain pattern go you know that you get into with your brain where by the time you know 30 more years from now you know if I don't eat at precisely 8 a.m I like I don't want to be that I want to find a way to like sort of celebrate the the things that need that are consistent for me that kind of keep me sane and that I and that I enjoy I truly enjoy but also feel like I'm not completely closed off and that I am so you know I don't want to feel like I'm so brittle that god forbid there be like a change in my schedule and I can't I just can't handle it you know I want to it's a hard it's kind of a hard balance to strike I think no you're right but I mean I guess at the same time as, as as there's that kind of uh kind of uh thing to negotiate of 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 how set in your ways you're going to become at the same time what you said about uh going back to how you felt when you were a teenager is also true like we're we're still the teenagers inside us we still got that kind of uh we can access how we felt when we were a teenager it doesn't matter how old we are absolutely I think that's something that people who talk, people feel a lot like I think a way of trying to connect, you know, Nico, Nico Case has this great song called Teenage Feeling. And that I think that people who are in marriages or in long term relationships or single, I mean, people of any relationship status have this longing, like in terms of one of the things that you carry with you in terms of wishing you could still feel 
something is is in love and sex i mean i think that's really a place where people really hunger like maybe somebody doesn't want to have the same feeling of recklessness about getting on a motorcycle unless they're you know having a midlife crisis but or they don't necessarily have to feel they don't necessarily feel the same longing for being on a sports team or whatever else like really resonated for them as a younger person but i think we all understand what nico case says you know is saying when she's saying that she's waiting for that teenage feeling for when she falls for someone um is that is that you know if you're in this long-term relationship you sort of hunger for that moment when you touch a touch of your fingers makes your circuitry explode that that makes us feel youthful and makes us feel that sense of wonder and that anything's possible and that's why people have affairs and that's why people you know get because because it's very it's it's adrenalizing in a way that kind of takes you back to a, a time when sort of everything adrenalized you in that way, for better or for worse. Somebody saying a cruel thing to you adrenalized you in a yeah, way that it wouldn't yeah. today. But likewise, somebody looking at you in a, in a certain way or sending you a note that, you know, makes you laugh and you know they have a crush on you, like it fills you up in a way that... Um, that I think we carry that with us throughout our entire lives. We want that fluttery teenage feeling when it comes to love and relationships and people try to get it back or they, you know, don't try to get it back with the person they're with and they, they find it with someone else and maybe that's not real, but it's very, um, it's very addictive, you know? Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with that. And I also think there's the, the, the other thing we, you know, is yeah you carry love and sex from teenage when you sort of first got your hormones and and everything went weird right um but but you've also got like from what from your childhood like that that's the the side of you that wants like recognition or like uh you know that like if you didn't get like for example uh my mom is quite emotionally unavailable so for the rest of my life I'm uh you know having to negotiate that kind of feeling of of wanting to be kind of recognized emotionally sure Uh, and like and I think that's what that that's the other thing you take whatever your childhood was you know you get your sense of self from that and then and then that that carries on and you can always access that and that's not always a good thing just like uh wanting to relive the um the uh the feelings that you had when you were a teenager of, no, of love and that's, sex that's not yeah. always good and and it's the same with like going back to being needy I guess. it's a great point <laughs> it's a great point i mean that's and that's yeah that's something that that uh, talk about another difficult balance to strike is that you want to acknowledge you want to be honest with yourself and acknowledge the things that have shaped you to have the characteristics that you have so that you can say, listen, I need to recognize that moving forward, I am going to continue to have this issue where I feel like I, where I'm going to feel like I need to be emotionally recognized because there's yeah. a part of me that's broken in that way. But yeah. but that, you know, you sort of accept that, know that that's like what you have to work with, but you're not dwelling on it and you're not, you know, blaming or excusing things for that that it's just like hey it's like having blue eyes i have blue yeah, eyes exactly. my eye and you know what my eyes are really sensitive to the sun so i have to wear sunglasses and i have to wear you know i have to protect my eyes that that is what it is but i don't spend three hours every day lamenting the fact that i have blue eyes 
Yeah, no, absolutely right. I, I, that's been my uh, journey, I guess, uh, of recent years. In fact, starting this podcast really kicked all of that off, of, of like coming to terms with myself and stuff. I think like turning thirty as well did it as well. Like um, I'm, I'm thirty one now, nearly thirty two. But I think uh, I was very pleased to get out of my twenties. Yeah, so glad. I think I was to get out too. Of my 20s. I, I found know, them yeah. so hard. They were really hard. <laughs> they were really hard. They were like all of the emotion, like most of the emotion of being a teenager, but then like 80 times the responsibility of being an adult you know <laughs> yes exactly exactly uh, nobody to help you uh, yeah. it's all on you um, but you still don't know who you are exactly uh, <laughs> so no it it's been nice it's been nice kind of coming to terms with yeah having these qualities and just saying yeah they're my qualities I can't do anything about them right. I can just try and make them the best version of those qualities as possible because I, I tend to think of like qualities as neutral you know you can you can it, what can be you know it's it's like arrogance and confidence you can be arrogant or you can be confident and you have to like push it one way or the other you know it's like absolutely a oh that, i love that same, that's a really know. good way of putting it i love that so that's that's where i'm at uh <laughs> there we go <laughs> so i guess we're, we're pretty much uh coming to the end of our time it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you janet oh this has been a joy well the last question that i ask people is do you have anything to plug Oh, that's which a, is a, that's a, a very, really weird question to nice ask question. a builder. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I need to listen to you go back and listen to your podcast with some people who wouldn't necessarily have anything to plug and see what they responded. Um, I mean, I always have a little something something going on, I guess, probably yeah. more than I should. But I will say that um, obviously we've been plugging my podcast uh, in one way or another, passively or aggressively uh, for the last hour. So <laughs> I don't feel the need to overstate that. But um but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm very proud of the, uh, the web series that's, you know, certainly will live perennially online uh, that is called Neil's Puppet Dreams. That is Neil Patrick Harris uh, starring in the web series that he and I and David Burka um, created together with the Henson Company and Nerdist to um, really celebrate our mutual obsession with puppets. So this is wow. these are these are Jim Henson puppets who uh, are interacting with Neil in the capacity that when he he, he's fairly narcoleptic and when he falls asleep at inopportune moments um, his dreams are all peopled with puppets so we got to really kind of be crazy and come up with kooky scenarios that would you know didn't need to follow any real logic and so um, if you just google Neil's puppet dreams you can access all of the the episodes that we did on on uh, YouTube and hopefully we'll be able to find the time to do some more um, I know we all want to so I love that I love the web series that I've on that has also turned into a television series called Burning Love. Um, I'm not sure some of this stuff in terms of what's available in the UK. It can be tricky, yeah, I know. It, it's hard to get hold of Burning Love, I've, yeah. I've found, because I yeah. wanted to watch it because I'm listening to your podcast. And then what about The Legend of Korra? Do you guys have, like, is that airing in the UK? I That's don't think it is, but it's a, it's a cartoon. cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's a Nickelodeon cartoon. It's in, I know it's also available on iTunes here in the States, but I don't, I, I guess I can't speak to it probably is available yeah. here then if, if it's been out for a while in the states it probably yeah. is available here so yeah know, people should definitely look for that it's a lovely cartoon i i can't say enough good things about it it's uh it's it's a it's a very magical cartoon certainly it's set in a in a very different world than the one we live in it's um it's uh mystical and uh and a, a lot of adventure and a lot of comedy but it's ultimately the primary characters are teenagers so it sort of fits in with what i'm interested in and and what we've talked about today and and 
maybe some of what you talk about on your podcast. Yeah, no, I, I certainly. And what, I guess one of the things about the JV Club uh, is as well that, I mean, you're kind of reach one of the things that you're laying down these experiences for one of the pe- groups of people is for is for teenagers, isn't it? For them to sort of hear grown ups uh do, do you get many lis- like listeners who are teenagers contacting I do. You, or- you know, I do. I'm so happy um, to say that I do. I've gotten a lot of uh, people who are in high school and college who, you know, are just starting college and they're away from home and they're feeling a sense of, of you know, homesickness or loss or like wondering how they're ever going to fit in or make friends and that they feel like there's a sense of community in the podcast that... Um, which makes me so emotional and I get so happy when I think about that and when I get emails about that because that to me is like the the fact that and I'm, I'm sure you experienced this as well I have yeah I know bit. I speak for Paul Paul Gilmartin when when I say that you know it, it only takes one person getting in touch with you and saying that something that you did that was you really felt like you were just doing for you because you felt that passion about it that something that you did for you ended up helping them that yeah. just feels like oh oh this is what it's supposed to f- be like like this is what it's supposed to be like i'm supposed to get to do the thing i love and someone else benefits from it that's amazing like yes. that's just that's th- what could be more perfect than that so to feel like and you know one of my favorite things i've gotten recently is uh, a guy who listens to my podcast because he just had a little baby girl and he just didn't grow up with any women in his life um and he's he save, he's, says he's listening to the podcast to better understand kind of the person that his daughter may grow into and also is saving them for her to be able to listen to when she gets old enough. And that just makes me wow. crazy. It's so exciting. So, cause I, you know, I don't have kids and I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to it, you know, I'd have to be, I think I would want to do it not alone. I would want to find the right partner to do it with. And that's not really where I am in my life right now. So to feel like I'm doing something that will live on after me, I guess at the age that I am, there's, there's, there happens to be something to that, that like I, I must really need or want because I feel this, this profound love and joy about the idea of things that I'm doing, having a value beyond the time that they're happening in that just means the world to me wow well that's a, a, a lovely and delightful place to, to to leave the conversation the last thing i ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience um guys thank you so much for listening to this this is i hope you had as much fun or even five percent as much fun listening to it as i have uh recording it i'm really glad that this worked out and that i was able to uh, to come on uh, getting better acquainted well me too thanks very much bye everyone bye you can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the app store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.